The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Monday, November 21st, 2016. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. The holidays can be hectic and time-consuming. If you want a helpful hint from old Mike about a way to save time and narrow your focus and actually attend to your inner sense of calm, take my advice and avert your gaze from Bedminster Cam. Like noise-canceling headphones or beta-blocking drugs, the Bedminster-blocking idea has been proved to lead to several positive outcomes. Bedminster is, of course, the site of Donald Trump's golf course. It's where he does his meet-and-greets, and after he's done with them, they become, I guess, a, a met and vet with any manner of luminaries and lunatics who could become members of Trump's cabinet. Wait! It's noted ferret antagonist Rudy Giuliani. Oh, and right then, it's model of Republican redoubt Mitt Romney, both being considered for the same post, we're told. And there's Michelle Rhee, the former Washington, D.C. school's chancellor, whose faith in charter schools is unshaken by setbacks, opposition, statistics, or any other poor habits of mind one might form in an underperforming public school. And the very same job she is said to be considered for, well, there's Jerry Falwell Jr., preacher, creationist. In fact, the guy's such a creationist, he's not even sure he descends from Jerry Falwell Sr., Now, I know the Falwell meeting reportedly happened in Trump Tower, which is kind of a vertically elongated golf clubhouse, one of the few skyscrapers that dreams of being a par five. But the point is the same. CNN just points their cam at the clubhouse doors and just gives over their programming to the former president of beauty pageants and elimination TV shows. He, of course, not stupidly, turns what he's doing into a reality TV show beauty pageant. For the talent part of the competition, General James Mad Dog Mattis will be singing Rigoletto while twirling an M9 bayonet. The point is, it doesn't seem that public reaction holds any sway over the choices he's going to make. And all we're doing is allowing Trump to signal to this group or that group, yeah, I'm listening to you too, or to signal to the media that he abhors, yet that gives him all the attention he needs, I'm holding some very serious wide-ranging talks. The Trump team's going to do what they want to do, and there is nothing the media can do to stop them, except once they're announced, once the cabinet is announced, then Democrats and three Republicans can stand up and say no. Out of the question, your supporters might include a lot of white nationalists, but your cabinet cannot be beyond the pal. And that has been my holiday news hack for you. On the show today, I spiel about someone we thought we knew from reality TV who gets me questioning everything I thought I knew about everything. And it's not even one of the Duck Dynasty guys. In fact, it's someone sub-Duck Dynasty. But now, English comedian Josie Long was troubled by Brexit. What did the shocking and backwards-looking vote mean to her understanding of her country, her fellow citizens? Maybe you can identify with that feeling. So she put together a show called Something Better, performed it in Britain, and then personally voted leave, at least from an artistic perspective, and now the show's in America, and it's worth it. Josie's up next.
Many years ago, Carly Simon told someone, you're so vain. Now, it turns out that someone was Warren Beatty, and it's true. He probably does think that song is about him. A lot of things are about Warren Beatty. But what does it take? What's the psyche of a person who would not think about a song being about him or her, but think about that in terms of a national referendum? You probably think this national referendum is about you. Well, Josie Long is such a person. She's not so vain. She's sensitive. She took the Brexit vote pretty hard. I think it's what brings her here to America and my studio. Hello, Josie. Hello. It's nice to be here. Yeah. I mean, I can't deny that I felt very personally insulted by it. Um, no, I can't. Well, it's just, the, it's just the vanity part. There's no vanity to it, I think. But there was surprise and comeuppance yeah. and soul searching and sadness. Mm. And here in America, I think we can relate a little bit, maybe more so, maybe over relate. So yeah. let's go. Let's let's go back. The impetus for your live show was a national rev- referendum for Britain to leave or remain in the UK. Now, as the debate was going on and on this show, we would have Brexit updates. And I was mostly captivated with the word Brexit, huh. you know, stemming from Grexit. But I didn't think it was quite possible. But what did you think and how did you attend to the debate before the vote got really intense in the days and weeks beforehand? Gosh, I now look back as like monstrous complacency on the side <laughs> of the Remain camp because because I think with Brexit, people were really sold a lie and all the campaign promises were lies. In fact, like all of it was so bound up in things that it couldn't and wouldn't be offering. Right. It was such a kind of mass campaign of misinformation. To and, the point where the day afterwards, major <gasps> campaigners said, oh yeah, we, we made that up. Oh gosh, like to the extent it was 6.04am <laughs> that the campaigner was on, they said, oh, so on all of your campaign buses, you've said you're going to give £350 million a week to the NHS. And he was like, I never said that. It's like, we have a picture of you next to the it's bus. It's on a bus! <laughs> oh. Like you could get away, you could bat, you could say you're misquoted, but you can't say the bus you've been driving around in was uh, taken out of context. Exactly. <laughs> Like if you've got you it on took a car, my bus out of context. Yes, <laughs> like I would accept if it's on the back of a bicycle. Then it's like you know, maybe a scooter. You get seventy people in that light. You can't be really changing it. Right. Oh my gosh, you never get. I'm never trusting a bus again. I walk. <laughs> I don't want to. What about Thomas the Tank Engine? Oh no, sinister. Because Ringo Starr, who does the narration, was a Brexiteer. Oh, so was John Cleese. So many mm. of my heroes. Mm. But yeah. I mean, I don't want to say this too much in a public forum. Forum, but John Cleese, what a letdown. You yeah. wouldn't get that off Michael Palin, would you? You see, he's the kind, he's the kind python. Yes. Yes. But that's the weird thing with like Brexit, and I think it is very similar to Trump, is that if you analyse the different reasons why people voted for it, so few people voted for the thing that was genuinely being offered. People voted because they wanted to shake things up or because they were being pandered to by a heavily emotional campaign that was meaningless. And it, I think that's one of the reasons I took it so hard, because... It personally inconvenienced my life. (laughs) Now, that sounds like that's the only reason, but it's such a chronic waste and it's so self-sabotaging. And a number of people voted for it because there were like these deep societal scars and problems. But a lot of the ways that I see is ways out of that problem. For example, like say you're growing up somewhere in the southwest of England and there's no prospects and there's no jobs and there's nothing going for you. What you can do is move to Denmark and have a brilliant life there where people only work six hours a day and they have little bicycles that have been adapted to fit their dogs in. I mean, it's a great life. Right. If you so choose it. Yeah. And you're taking that away from underprivileged young people in the United Kingdom. Like it's 
Brexit actively took away opportunities from Yeah, people. so imagine, American listeners, and I've seen the stats, most, most of you are. Imagine if after the Trump vote and you lived in a red state, what it meant is you couldn't emigrate, to, you couldn't easily emigrate to a blue state. Absolutely. It would be that much harder. So you're in Nebraska and you're really bummed that Trump won. But here's the further bad news. You have a girlfriend or boyfriend from Maryland. It's going to probably be pretty hard to ever marry him. But wasn't it some of it that these people who were arguing in such bad faith so deserved a comeuppance and instead they got a reward yes exactly and it feels so dispiriting i think it's that feeling that i've definitely seen via twitter like following a lot of americans since the vote where the people on the left notionally or you know and that's such a broad term and such a meaningless term in so many ways but all, all the people who were trying to fight this thing are beating each other up soul searching hand-wringing and actually, you know, the truth is far more complicated than that. Like the, the people on the right were devious and smart and wealthy and powerful. And that's how they managed to elicit this victory. And I, and I think it's like, I took it personally because I felt so terrible and ineffective. I like, you know, I've been doing shows about politics for about six years and it's definitely vanity where you think that you might be able to have some sort of influence in the macro level. You know, I, I have this friend who's a folk singer. She's kind of a protest singer. And she and I... Oh, one a- of those kind of folk singers. <laughs> right. Not, so not a pro-Brexit. Not <laughs> a folk singer. Yeah. <laughs> My friend had this amazing character who was uh, this Southwestern uh, folk singer, Southwestern of the UK folk singer who used yeah. to come out and say from... From Bristol to Bath, from Taunton to Truro, we'll all go join together and say no to the euro. <laughs> it was like, it's racist. I love that idea. <laughs> it's like a uh, anti-Palestinian slam poet. This oh, was God. this is my character. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> I'm still workshopping that. But but I'm um, sorry. Yes, yeah, so me and my friend were focusing, and we were doing this little tour in July, and we were like, it's so funny because we used to come out and do these shows where we were like, guys, if we all join together, there's more of us than there are of them, although evidently not, and we'll all join together, and we can defeat the conservatives in this country and we've got to have hope and then we had a 2015 election and both of us were like oh uh, maybe i'm not as uh, important as i thought it was <laughs> i really thought i was influencing people and it's sort of this this realization that i honestly don't know what the right tack is because you get accused of preaching to the choir if you're a political artist of any kind and again my friend who's the folk singer says you know you're the only that's the only genre of music where people have a go at you for people who like you coming to see you. Yeah. And they're like, oh, how dare people who are interested in what you have to say come and watch it. <laughs> but at the same time, it, it is a tricky one because I don't want to feel like I'm alienating and attacking people who disagree with me. I want to win people around and sh- show... I mean, the reason my show's called Something Better is because I really wanted with it to showcase the brilliant things that I felt politics and activism have to offer. And I feel genuinely really influenced by a book called um, Hope in the Dark by Rebecca Solnit. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, it's so great. And I recommend it to anyone listening who feels a bit despairing about politics. It's, I, I feel like it's been this balm and so um, enlivening and stuff. Well, I would say the purpose of art is not necessarily to change minds, even if it's explicitly political. But no one, I think, can ever say, well, you know, Shakespeare, Merry Wives of Windsor. I still think they're unmarried, even after watching <laughs> the play, right? Uh, but even if, but also we're judging it on changing minds from really polar opposite opinions as opposed to inching us along, giving us a thought to mull mm. over. And so even if I go to see a comedian or watch the Daily Show when John Stewart was hosting, who I agreed with, you know, 87% of the time, he could still give me fodder or make me rethink certain positions, or actually I, I could agree with him. So still, in, he's still activating my intellect, even if, you know, it's not going to change my vote on such a crude thing as remain or stay. 
Yeah, that's true. That that is true. But at the same time, it's very difficult when you know the other campaign is not using facts and is yeah. deliberately not using facts, and you feel as if you are in possession of the facts. Uh, another another dissimilarity, I would say. But maybe this is just to my ear. It seems to me that most Trumpers, most people on his side in America are inelegant and they weren't even inelegant speakers, made poor arguments that on their face, even the words didn't stick stick together. Donald Trump cannot string sentences together. <laughs> he only speaks in phrases. So he's a really inartful speaker. And at least to an American, I think Boris Johnson, for all his flaws, knows how to talk. Oh, you, you don't see, think so? No, he's a buffoon. He can't even go down a zip wire. A well, okay. Go down a zip wire. <laughs> but yes, he did get stuck doing that physical task. But, you know, he no, studied at Oxford and uh, he mate, quoted, he this quoted Downton, German and no, sang in German. Downton Abbey has a lot to answer for. Mm-hmm. And, and Hugh Grant has a lot to answer for. And <laughs> I, you know, and I, much as I love to come here and, you know, drop something on the street and go, oh, gosh, I'm so sorry. I mean, it's a delight. It's a, it's a treat. <laughs> that everyone loves how but, you talk. Is but, that what you're saying? Or that people, I think people in America are very generous to this concept of Britishness. Oh, yeah. And, and especially to foppishness. Yeah. And Boris Johnson is not a great public speaker because what he does is he just kind of, he basically will go, well, as Cicero said, yeah. and everyone goes, oh, Cicero, oh, brilliant, <laughs> right? He's managed to get by on this kind of jokey nonsense. But when he's up against real grown-ups, yeah. you see that it's a facade. And I think that's very similar with Trump, but it, it doesn't stop these people. Like Boris Johnson was elected twice London mayor and he's made London an impossibly expensive city for people to stay in, you, you know, so it's really hard then because then you're like, guys, why? I don't understand why you like these people. Why? I think we are susceptible to the accent. I know this because I used to work for a public radio station and one of the affiliate stations just had all these English presenters for huh. some reason, huh. even though they were in Massachusetts. But I think of Tony Blair's speech uh, advocating the Iraq war to Congress. Oh. And I remember at the time, everyone said, oh my God, if President Bush could speak like that. And I don't think it was just the accent. I think that there is, I think because of quest, prime minister question time mm-hmm. and more of a, a emphasis on verbal acuity, you actually do get better arguments for bad ideas, but better arguments for bad ideas from the British than you do. The Americans are fine to just drag some knuckles and say, hey, the guy from Duck Dynasty likes it. Ha. Yeah, <laughs> I suppose our buddies are more kind of old fashioned you know, real old-fashioned villains, yes. whereas your buddies yes. are more like wrestling heels. Yes. Well, wrestling, I don't know if you know this, but Donald Trump has his long history in wrestling. Oh the aesthetic of wrestling is shot through in his campaign and how he campaigned and the people who are for him. And in fact, they even said Linda McMahon, who's the wife of... Vince McMahon. Yes, she, and she ran unsuccessfully for a Senate in Connecticut. She might be a member of the cabinet. He's meeting with her. This is <laughs> blowing my mind, but it makes perfect sense because I've just... There's a wrestling school in Glasgow in Scotland and it's so regional and it's amazing and it's called the Insane Championship Wrestling and all of the wrestlers are kind of Glaswegian um, archetypes and all the cheering is like really Glaswegian and I love it because I love that city and I started going but one of the reasons I like it is because it's so easy emotionally you go in the bad guy comes in you know he's the bad guy and you shout at him the good guy comes in and you're emotionally connected instantly because you know he's the good guy and it's fun and it's entertaining right and so the idea and it's that it's cathartic. Politics, yes, and the idea. that's what the lock her up chant is. It's a wrestling oh, move. Gosh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. That's actually sickeningly. Yeah. Oh god. And and the th- and the other thing is that all fans of wrestling 
no one says even the biggest fans or even the most deluded fans don't think it's real. Like they, they know that they're characters and they know that a lot of the moves are faked, but they still get still off on it. it. Yeah. And, and that's, they applied that to the election. They said, oh, we know Trump is just playing a role. They used it to excuse every bad thing he said with locker room talk. Oh, that's him being the heelish villain or doing whatever a wrestler would do. Yes. And yeah. I think there's definitely, you know, I, uh, it's even, it even happens with the left where, you know, someone like Tony Blair, people voted for him with this hope that, oh, yeah, I mean, he seems really centrist. He seems a bit right wing, but, but, but when he gets in, well, that'll all be talk and he'll actually be really left wing, you know. And it's that feeling that, like, whatever a politician says when they're platforming, you're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when they get yeah, in, yeah. they'll do whatever I mm-hmm. want them to do. And then we could fill them, right. It doesn't even matter what they say. We'll fill them with our ideas. Mm. Did it make you feel better or worse, all these stories afterwards with people saying, oh, it was a protest vote. Oh, I didn't really mean it. Oh, I didn't know what I was voting for. Worse. Yeah. Because then you're just angry at them. And because you can't go back. And... I think something like, so what's really interesting is like the Scottish referendum, mm. I think genuinely politicised so many people and made people so much more politically aware because uh, the campaigning for independence in particular was so grassroots and p- people were so involved in the communities and there were meetings and uh, all kinds of events where people really, really talked and argued in quite a positive way. Whereas I think the Brexit referendum, not only was there not that, but I don't think people have learned from that mistake because then Theresa May walks into being our prime minister unelected on a, you know, messy platform and she's got higher support than ever. Yeah. And I don't know why. So do you think Scotland should, uh, two questions, were you in favor of Scottish independence then and are you in favor of Scottish independence now as a non-Scot? Um, it's really tricky because I'm a long-term admirer of the city of Glasgow. Yeah. I love it. I think it's the best place on earth. And if you're ever planning a trip to the United Kingdom, you should step off there first and foremost. So on a personal level, I was gutted at the thought of it. But at the same time, it's really tricky because if somebody said to me as somebody who I consider myself to be like a progressive person and a left-wing person if somebody said by the way I can if you make this one decision you'll never have conservatives in power again but it's a risk and you don't know what will happen I think part of me would be like let's give it a go (laughs) why not downside you get you lose your nuclear submarines (laughs) oh no that's downside (laughs) and all of my friends who live there pretty much were yes voters wanted to leave so I didn't want to try and begrudge people a decision that I would freely make but I did feel a lot of heartache about it but now, I think if they can manage to stay in the EU, I think it's probably better for them. And I don't know. It's, oh gosh, it's always so tricky and complicated. And, and then it's interesting because like, sometimes I then want to just be like, oh, I'm just a clown. Who knows anything? You know, and stuff. But, <laughs> you can't retreat to that. Josie Long's show, Something Better, will be at which theater? It's at the Barrow Street Theater. Barrow Street Theater. That's a small theater in New York. But if you're, you know, she, it, it's within her. The show's within her. So wherever <laughs> Josie is, maybe you'll get a chance to see it. Well, I'm, I'm actually coming back in January. I'm doing a performance in San Francisco and a performance in Los Angeles. Fantastic. So I'm, I'm sticking very much to the yeah. uh, progressive coastlines. <laughs> Basically, she'll be touring Blue State America. Thank you, Josie. Excellent to talk to you. Thank you for having me. And now the spiel, Tila Tequila is a Nazi. She's a Nazi. She's not a soup Nazi. She's not a grammar Nazi. She's a Nazi Nazi. 
You know, you know the former reality TV star, and what a breeding ground for future thought leaders, huh? She was at the White National Conference that ended in a hell of Zig Heils. They rented out the Ronald Reagan Building and International Trade Center in D.C. They had their conference. It ended with Richard Spencer, the guy who coined the phrase alt-right, telling you what the phrase means when he led the crowd in Zig Heil. Steve Bannon told the Wall Street Journal, quote, our definition of the alt-right is younger people who are anti-globalists, very nationalist, terribly anti-establishment. Spencer, the actual coiner of the term, was less circumspect. America, this is from the Times account, America, he said, belonged to white people whom he called the children of the sun, a race of conquerors and creators who have been marginalized. Times went on to say, Spencer also engaged in media criticism, saying perhaps we should refer to them in the original German, and the audience immediately screamed back, Lugenpresse, reviving a Nazi-era word which means lying press. And Tila Tequila was there. Her Twitter page has an artist rendition of her standing next to Trump, and in the painting, she's wearing a swastika armband. Tequila, real name Tien Tan Ti Nguyen, born in Singapore, family's Vietnamese boat people, actively supports anti-immigrant white nationalists. Her Wikipedia page is crazy. It just does the classic Wikipedia thing. Oh, she was on this reality TV show. Then she tried to become a singer. Then she wrote a book. Here's here's the last sentence of the first paragraph. Uh, her book, Hooking Up with Teal Tequila, a guide to love, fame, happiness, success, and being the life of the party, was published in 2008. She has subsequently received attention for her support of Hitler. Yeah, I shot a movie. It didn't get theatrical distribution. You could stream it. I'm coming out with a series of ringtones. Uh, I support Hitler. Hitler, totally cool. Did I mention the ringtones? Look, there is no sponsor to boycott. There's no media outlet that we could say drop Tila Tequila. She's been dropped by everyone except the Nazis. Tells you something about the Nazis. Man, it is odd to me that the signal event that we really have no solid ground under us is Tila Tequila showing up at a Nazi rally. Her Nazi affiliation was actually out there. I just didn't realize it. I probably heard it once. I dismissed it. She was like kicked off Big Brother or something. I said, who cares? Some fame-hungry, clearly ridiculous reality star. This is just the dumbest slice of America that we can ignore, that we must ignore, or else, you know what? We give them oxygen, or we just give them an ounce of our brain space. We lose, they win. And then someone with a very similar bio is asked to lead us all. Now that Teal to Kill is a Nazi, I question another notion that I had, that the overtly racist, the Klansmen, the Nazis, they're the easy ones. They're not the problem. They're the distraction. You know what they do? They give cover to the dog whistlers and the socially acceptable and therefore more insidious forms of racism. Thought that until Teela Tequila became a Nazi. Am I the crazy one? No, Teela Tequila is. But am I with my general belief in the general progression of society? Have I been wrong this whole time? I note it doesn't always go correctly or right or perfectly, but we tend to define and redefine behaviors as acceptable or unacceptable. It's not perfect. It's not scientific. But look at the circle of acceptance. Look at how it 
expands and retracts. Look what's in the circle that wasn't, you know, loving versus Virginia, widening the circle of acceptability. Obergfell versus Hodges, that was gay marriage, widening it further. And there are some actions that were pushing outside the circle, right? Overt racism. Other things like most Native American Indian mascots, beating children, declawing cats, Confederate flags on jackets or album covers, outside the circle. Whatever, it's not perfect, but I think we're trending towards the righteous. And yeah, sure, there's some blowback. Kim Davis has turned into a hero. The entire post-Wango Tango oeuvre of Ted Nugent. But these seem like the sputtering gasps, not the trend lines. And then Tila to kill as a Nazi. I thought that was off the cultural table. Not even to the extent that anyone has to be told, you know, if you want to be taken seriously, you really can't be a Nazi. By off the cultural table, I meant if you don't want to literally be spit on and attacked every day of your life, don't be a Nazi. I mean, these last couple weeks, what assumption is there that's out there that we shouldn't question? It's a key moment to ask questions, to question assumptions, which is good. I talked about the ground beneath our feet. How solid is it? Is it made of polenta? That's not good. Here's what I figure. Things actually, empirically, have been progressing for a while. But the thing is, you know that phrase, it's a change we can't ignore? That's not what's going on. We can ignore this. And we do ignore this. Plus, the progress hasn't been for everyone. But in general, things are getting better, but it's been kind of gradual, and it's not for everyone. And maybe things aren't getting better when compared to promises or expectations or the prior pace of change. And we don't have an ability to discern this. What I mean is, we understand everything that's going on and if things are better or things are worse through the media, through how we see the outside world. It's chiefly the internet these days. And so the media is a lens. And seemingly randomly, though, it's a fisheye lens. And sometimes it's a photo negative. We don't know what kind of filter is being applied to our lens. It is not the case that up is down and left is right. Because if it was that, if it was consistent, we could take that into account. We could just flip the lens. But it's random, a random series of filters that we don't know about, that we don't think exist, that we tell ourselves exist to a small extent, but are all over the place. That's what's going on to our lens. Because in the lens I look through, looking at stupid celebrity, actually non-celebrity news, that in my lens, that's really easy for and best for everyone to ignore. But then that exact category spawns the next president of the United States. So maybe we should peek at it because Tila Tequila is a Nazi. Ignore them and they'll go away. Pay attention and you give them credence. Uh, Have faith in 51% of your fellow citizens to find this sufficiently repugnant. But then remember that 51% don't mean shit if it ain't in the right swing states. I do have an answer. It's not the best answer. My answer is to shake your head and marvel and wonder, but do not despair. And I note that just because something is ridiculous doesn't mean it can't be dangerous. But just because something is potentially dangerous does not mean it's also not worthy of deep, deep ridicule. And that's it for today's show that just was produced by Chris Berube, who, along with Puck from the real world, is being considered for HUD secretary. Mary Wilson, just producer, and one of the swamp people being looked at hard for interior... Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. He, along with two or three of the American pickers, could be your next Secretary of Commerce. The chief content officer of the Panoply Network is Andy Bowers, or is he the mole? Either way, is on the short list, along with Anderson Cooper and Laura Ingram, to be press secretary. The gist, 
just hoping that during the Trump administration, the amazing race stays only the title of a TV show. Peru, Peru, and thanks for listening.